And now, Grantland Pop Culture. Hi, welcome to the Grantland Podcast and Video Element. I'm Chris Connolly, and my guest needs no introduction, and yet I will provide one. He is Aaron Sorkin, screenwriter of Steve Jobs. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Have I been pronouncing Grantland wrong all these years? I've been saying Grantland. No, I think I think we accept either pronunciation. Okay. There's a bit of a schwa. Uh-huh. On the uh, on the second syllable, uh, oh, sometimes yeah, yeah. if you're kind of rolling it yeah. that way, like Grantland Rice, the guy who wrote uh, those famous descriptions of the athletes of the early part of the 20th century. Sure, we had a big argument on the Steve Jobs set whether it was Walkman or Walkman. Really? Yeah, a Sony Walkman or a Sony Walkman. Walkman sounds like a number of Sony Walkman out for a <laughs> good right. time. Who was the first person you ever saw with a Sony Walkman? Oh, gee, that's a great question. Uh, I have an answer, of course, which is why I asked the question. What's your answer? Annie Leibowitz. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. And uh, uh, I had a Walkman. I had a Discman. Uh, and then I had the Discman that you could walk, actually, because the first ones didn't take into account that, you know, if you're bouncing around when you're walking, uh, uh, the, the, the CD isn't going to play. And then they, uh, uh, they did something to it where uh, you could. So I had all of those, uh, all of which were devices that Steve Jobs thought were ridiculous. Um, uh, and so we got the iPod. Remember how excited we were to have them, though? Those cool earphones. We even oh, had, like, guys, yeah. when I was a Rolling Stone, we guys from the police with them on the cover oh, as yeah. the ultimate signifier of cool. Uh, it, well, it, it was the, uh, listen, I know cool, okay? I played trombone in my high school marching band. I was vice president of the drama club. You don't have to tell me about cool. L7, baby. Yeah. Strictly Squaresville. <laughs> wow. Trombone? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. They say an oboe is an ill wind that nobody blows good. Is Interesting. Tr- trombone, same sort of way? But if... Listen, uh, what I found out way too late was that nobody has ever written good music for the trombone ever uh so i got pretty good at the trombone but i would have to go to a store and buy like bach bassoon concertos and and play them on the trombone that's a double reed right there uh bassoon, uh, uh, bassoon is double reed instruments are the hardest to play sure. oboe bassoon but uh when you're a kid and you're playing the trombone seventh position is the slide all, all the way out as far as it can go is that in the kama sutra uh it's <laughs> no sir okay just, it's, just asking it, it, it don't mock the trombone okay, it's then. or trombone players because we're so cool um but your arms aren't uh, when you're a kid your your uh, uh arm isn't long enough to get to seventh position you have to play the same note in first position an octave down and because trombone players were very aware of being cool manhood your bar mitzvah is being able to play seventh position in seventh position and finally during uh, a concert you know in ninth grade uh, or something with my parents out there who would ultimately deny that i was their kid uh, i went for it uh, with everything i had i went for seventh position and my slide just went flying out <laughs> into the audience <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the silhouette of my parents just holding their head in their hand. It was bad enough that I was playing trombone to begin with. <laughs> nothing ventured, nothing gained. You That's had to right. go for it. I did go for it. You know, dare to be a fool. I've taken that dare many times and, and, and been successful at it. But rarely quite as like spectacularly as kind of like Kodak moment as with the trombone. Boy, oh boy. But I didn't give up. I got back up again and and by God... 
I, I can I can play seventh position today. Wow. Yeah, I should have brought I should have brought the instrument here. Well, you know the the you know the solo on Hello Dolly by Julie by Louis Armstrong I think is a trombone solo, isn't it? So there are plenty of great trombone. So listen, Glenn Miller uh, uh, played the trombone. Uh, there are 76 of them in The Music Man, uh, right? Say, uh, yeah. it, it, it's just that there, there's there's no good music uh, uh, written for trombone. I should have played the cello or the violin. Well, you know, the old, you know the, what's the difference between a trombonist and a frog that's squashed in the road? You've heard that one. I haven't, but it's going to be terrible, the, whatever it is. The, the, <laughs> the frog was on the way to a gig. <laughs> So um, let me ask you something. Do you yeah. think? Do you think like Shakespeare ever had people coming up to him and saying, "Hey, I know Richard the <laughs> Third. You Richard, didn't get it right. Richard the Third's a you, hell of a guy. You, okay, you did I not cried at my desk when it. Richard the Third right. died. Um, uh, you know, he had to have because there was. <laughs> this, I'm glad you brought that up. There was no one named Falstaff in uh, the court of King Henry. Um, and uh, listen, let's get let's get this back to Steve Jobs, uh, uh, so I can be clear about a few things. I constructed uh, a, a structure for this movie that it, it's not a biopic, it's not the story of Apple or even the story of Steve Jobs. It's not a cradle to grave story where we land on the the greatest hits of the protagonist along the way. This is something much different. This entire movie. Uh, takes place in is just three scenes, uh, three scenes in real time. Real time is when forty minutes for you and the audience is the same as forty minutes for the characters on screen, and each of those scenes takes place backstage, uh, leading up to in the minutes leading up to a product launch that he has. And that's why every scene in this movie feels like uh, has the intensity of the end of a film. Uh, that's right. E- even though it's a it's a whole movie. Uh, uh, constructed out of language, and this is really where Danny Boyle, our director, comes in. He directed Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, Train Spotting, a, a visual master. Uh, the the movie feels like an action film. It, it, it feels like a prison break. Uh, uh, you're right. E- every scene feels like it's the end of the movie. Uh, in 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 each of these scenes, Steve has very personal and dramatic confrontations with five different people uh, in his life. In real life, to the best of my knowledge, Steve did not have confrontations with the same five people 40 minutes before every product launch that he did. That's a a writer's conceit. But the content of those confrontations is true. Nothing's been invented there. Yeah. Okay, I just thought I'd mention it. (laughs) (laughs) Are you finding a lot of people take some sort of issue with that? What I'm – there are uh, at least a, a couple of people who in print uh, have seemed surprised that, uh, uh, that a writer invented uh, a structure for a movie. Um, uh, if you look at uh, – you don't have to go back very far. Just uh, look at the movie The Queen with Helen Mirren. Uh, which is a great movie, and it was written by Peter Morgan. That is not a biopic about Queen Elizabeth. That movie is not about the life of Queen Elizabeth. It's about an incident in the Queen's life when Diana uh, was killed, and this very stoic woman uh, uh, who had a number of responsibilities uh, had to deal with it. And perhaps one of the most memorable moments from the movie is when she's by herself, her car is broken down, 
uh, and she's looking at a deer. She's looking at a stag who she knows her husband is hunting and trying to kill. Uh, uh, and she stares at the stag and the stag is staring back and she sees the hunter come, hunters coming and says, shoo, shoo, shoo. Uh, now, uh, that is a moment that never happened. Uh, uh, Peter Morgan invented that. But the truth of, uh, of that uh, is fantastic. Another Peter Morgan movie. I'm giving Peter Morgan a lot of uh, dap right uh, you now. You know, I mean, it's amazing. He's just up on the wall here next to Springsteen and <laughs> Muhammad Ali. Frost Nixon. Frost Nixon revolves around a midnight phone call that Richard Nixon, a drunk dial that Richard Nixon makes to David Frost. A phone call that never happened. The most famous line in the Watergate canon, Aaron. Follow the money. Never happened. Written by William Goldman. Won an Academy Award for it. Artists and journalists do two different things for a living. And uh, uh, when we're writing nonfiction, we, we have to arrange it in a different way than a journalist would arrange it in a periodical. Because the, the properties of people and the properties of characters have almost nothing to do with each other. And the properties of stories and the properties of a life have almost nothing to do with each other. People don't speak in dialogue. Their lives don't lay themselves out in a series of scenes that form a narrative. That's something that we do. Uh, Much the way uh, I I have to assume that Picasso's models didn't have three noses and five eyes, Um, uh, but he, he would look at a model and want to arrange it a certain way uh, in order to say something. I mean, I, I'm a little facetious, of course, when I asked if people had problems with this. I've read the criticisms yeah. and stuff. But it, I guess I just sort of take it as granted that you could do what you did in this and it would be accepted as something that was ordinary dramatic license for the yeah. purpose of us of, of entertainment. Uh, 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 true. And it's, it's not – and usually when you say that, when you talk about dramatic license, the assumption is that it's these Hollywood guys hyping something up because – uh, uh, because the real story wasn't interesting enough. No, it, what we're doing is is saying that your actual 24-hour day, no matter what, e- even if there was a fire in the building uh, and, and, and you had to make your – it isn't – wouldn't work as a movie, that, that there are things that you have to do with it, that conversation has to become dialogue. Uh, and that your life has to become scenes, and that there are rules to that that Aristotle laid out thousands of years ago. Even in journalism, you know, we're whittling the stick. You know, we're yes. like taking a branch that has lots of little sticks on it. We're like carving off all the stuff that goes in directions we can't use. At least that's the metaphor I used to use. I now say we make a shiv <laughs> because it's ugly and it's effective, <laughs> and it only has what's necessary. That's absolutely right. Uh, uh, well said. And uh, uh, by the way, I, I, I also want to point out if, if, if anyone is looking for a journalistic take on the life of Steve Jobs and the creation of Apple and the creation of this product, look no further than the book that served the source material for this movie, Walter Isaacson's authorized biography of Steve Jobs. And that's what interests me. So if I want to get you to tell my story, if I, want, if I, have, a, if I have a book like Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs and I want to get you to do it, what do I have to do to get you to say yes? I need to feel like it's a, in sports terms, like it's a pitch I might be able to hit. Um, uh, you know, a, a batter will look for their pitch. Uh, I need to feel like 
there's a, a chance that I can do this well. Uh, and then once I feel like there's a chance I can do it well, I do everything I can to talk myself out of it <laughs> uh, uh, because uh, I, I get scared that I can't do it well. I know it's going to be a couple of years of very hard work. Uh, I know that we're then going to come to the point where – uh, you know, we're going to be hearing from a lot of people who say, "Well, I know Chris Connolly, and you didn't, uh, right? Uh, you, sure, you, yeah. you, you you blew it." Uh, uh, so, and if I'm unable to talk myself out of it, now I'm in. Uh, you have I'm the Isaacson luck. book in your hand. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for? Like a shark? Like what are you hunting for? Intention and obstacle. Okay, everything. I cling to dear life for dear life to intention and obstacle somebody wants something something standing in their way of getting it they want the money they want the girl they want to get to philadelphia it doesn't matter they've got to want it they've got to want it badly if they can need it that's even better and the obstacle has to be formidable whatever is standing in their way you can't dispense with the obstacle by why doesn't he just pick up the phone and uh, uh that kind of why doesn't he just crawl out the window uh uh the windows have to be locked the phone can't work the electricity has to be out. The bridge is flooded. Uh, 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 the, the obstacle has to be formidable. The tactics that your protagonist uses to overcome that obstacle, whether he or she is successful, doesn't matter. Uh, uh, the tactics that they use to overcome the obstacle, that's going to be your story. Now you're in the Isaacson book and you're not seeing that yet. No. Or you found, so you go and try to find something that will work in that direction. What do you find? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've read the Isaacson book. I'm spending a lot of time with all the characters, if you will, who are in the Isaacson book, all the people who knew Steve very well, who worked with him closely uh, and who loved him. Everyone, all the real people who are represented by characters in the movie and several dozen uh, who aren't. And what I'm finding are very interesting points of friction uh, uh, that exist between, say, Steve and Waz. Uh, uh, Steve and his eldest daughter, Lisa, a number of people. But I haven't found uh, the intention and obstacle yet. But in doing the research, I trip over a tiny thing, okay? A tiny, irrelevant thing that I love, which is this. In rehearsals for the launch of the Macintosh in 1984, they couldn't get the computer to say hello. It was very important to Steve that the Macintosh be the first computer to introduce itself, that it say, that it had a voice demo, uh, and, and that it say hello. And something happened. It broke. Uh, they couldn't get it to say hello. And I thought, wait, there's an intention, an obstacle. I'm not going to write a movie about that, but that's a, a clothesline that I can start hanging stuff on these points of friction with other people what if um we don't begin this movie with a little boy and his father and they're staring in an electronic shop and then the next scene it's you know hey steve wozniak i'm steve jobs let's start a company in my parents garage (laughs) what if we don't do that what if we jump we're, we're parachuted in. We're already going 100 miles an hour, and we've got a problem. The computer won't say hello. And while they're trying to get the computer to say hello, Steve will have confrontations with these various people. These points of friction that I do find interesting are going to start to rear their head. And what if I can do that three times? What if I can find two more we can't get the computer to say hellos, uh, one for the second act and one for the third act. Uh, uh, and I can build, what if I can write a play <laughs> and fake people into thinking <laughs> that it's a movie? Uh, 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 that's how I'll be most comfortable. 
I, you know, if you ever uh, bring home a new puppy, they tell you to get a crate that's just big enough for the dog to be able to turn around in, but no bigger because it gives the dog a, a sense of security. They they, right. they want those walls in. That's me uh, as a writer. I, I I need four walls. I can't write a scene that takes place outside to say, I don't know why. Um, what, would, I, what would we say? Like maybe, uh, what, uh, two and a half minutes of this film takes place outside? There's yes, the walk and, with Waz, and then there's the final scene, which we won't disclose. Yes, and, and, and the, the, the fact that that final scene takes place outside is like a big deal. You know, it's like, like whoa, um, uh, uh, this must be an important scene. We're yes. outside now. You know, that it reminds me... Um, uh, the first movie I wrote was based on the first play that I wrote. It was A Few Good Men. Uh, and I haven't heard of that. The, um, it was, it, it's a military courtroom drama. <laughs> uh, there's a scene in the movie. Tom Cruise is driving his car in Washington, D.C. He pulls over to the side at a newsstand, hops out, buys a copy of Sports Illustrated, gets back in the car, drives away. That's my action scene. Okay, that that's my biggest action scene. There was some some softball hitting. I'm just going to say there, there was, was some, softball there was practice. some softball practice. By the way, if that we maybe we, not in the stage play, we shot those softball scenes. We shot those exteriors in Washington D.C. Washington D.C. It's it's one of my favorites. My favorite city is is New York. That that's where I'm from. After that, it's Boston, and after that, it's Washington D.C. And uh, uh, the thing kind of about, in the cellar guy. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> The thing about shooting in Washington is that no matter where you are, you are in the landing pattern for National Airport. <laughs> and you cannot get off more than four minutes of film without the sound guy saying, cut, you got to cut, I'm, I'm hearing planes. And so we were shooting that softball scene that you're talking about, the softball practice, the scene between Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. Um, uh, and somebody made a phone call. Uh, uh, somebody high up made a phone call and said, all right, they're giving us an hour. They're going to reroute flights to a different runway. Uh, um, so we've got an hour undisturbed with no planes flying over. The director said, Rob Reiner said, you know, all right, let's get this done. And as soon as he called action, like something out of Apocalypse Now, five <laughs> Apache attack helicopters come up <laughs> over the horizon. Right in back of us, and our sound engineer with the headphones on said, Rob, I, I think I'm hearing helicopters. Like, turn around. They're, we're literally under attack. <laughs> so shooting in Washington is great because nothing looks like Washington. If you're if you're doing A Few Good Men or if you're doing The West Wing or if you're doing The American President, I've said a lot of things in Washington. Um, uh, it, it's great because it's a beautiful city and nothing looks like Washington, but it is a sound nightmare. You say that you use these things you were talking about as clotheslines. That was a great description. Yeah. What we see, and you did this a little bit in The Social Network, it is the intention that your protagonist never lets go of, mm -hmm. even though he takes little detours into other things. It is the foremost thing on his mind. How do you find that to be a useful source of dramatic tension, not just for a scene, but for the extent of the acts, let's say, that you're doing in this film? If I can make that clothesline taut enough, if you don't mind continuing the metaphor, if I can make that clothesline taut enough, uh, that the intention is strong enough, the obstacle, obstacle formidable enough, obstacle formidable enough, <laughs> um, then you can take uh, little detours. We, we, we know our protagonist uh, is going to come back to it. Look, the, uh, uh, the, the, the clothesline of the social network, we're in a deposition. Uh, uh, a guy is trying to 
make his case. Several people are trying to make their case. Uh, uh, so there's a very clear uh, – I, I like courtrooms and courtroom-like settings uh, a lot. The social network, we never went into a courtroom, but we might as well have been in one. We were in a deposition room. Uh, uh, the, the two sides are clear. The rules are clear. The intention and the obstacle uh, are clear. Uh, uh, so we, we can take small detours into into character type things, things that you would hang on that clothesline, uh, uh, as long as you stay true to your intention. You know what fascinated me is that you use that next reveal as your act two, because this is a period in jobs life that nobody really talks about. And in people's careers, that point in their life is usually unexamined and usually glossed over because it's not going from strength to strength. And and yet it's incredibly revelatory, isn't it? Uh, it is. I my, my regret with the second act uh, of Steve Jobs, with the end of the second act and the next reveal that you're talking about, is that it actually, Steve's foresight in, in the Trojan horse that he built, basically, to get back to Apple, um, it, 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 I, I made it seem, for the sake of, uh, of just be, having to simplify it, uh, of making the audience understand it, I made it seem like it was one chess move. Uh, like, um, uh, listen, Apple has stopped innovating. They're going to need an operating system uh, uh, for for whatever computer they make next. Let's us build the operating system that they're going to need so that they don't have any choice but to buy us. It was actually 12 chess moves ahead uh, that he was seeing that this new CEO, Gil Emilio, was going to come in, that Wall Street was going to want this from him, and that under pressure he was going to have to do this. I wish there had been a way to dramatize that because it really would have shown just how smart this man was. Well, but here's the thing that we all grapple with. When I started here at ESPN, I remember reading a document about how you do bumps and teases into the next segments. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with this from having done Sports Night. One of the things they said about people watching television is, don't worry about how smart they are. Worry about how distracted they are. How many different things can go on? Now, you're in a movie house and the Mm -hmm. lights are closed, but lights are off, but you know people will watch it at home. Is that why it's just one move instead of 12 moves? Because you can't afford to lose people. Um, you know what? I, that, 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 document, that, that memo they gave you about uh, bumps and teasers, they, they were right. I get it. But I can't write for the people who are distracted, uh, whether it's television or movies. Uh, I, I can't write for the people who are flipping through a magazine, talking on the phone, making dinner. I understand that. Uh, that people use, especially television, as background music as something to keep them company. I use it for that sometimes. Uh, but when I'm when I'm writing a television show, I, I'm I'm writing it for the person who's watching it, the way you watch a movie. And when I write a movie, I'm watching it for the person who is sitting in a dark theater with an audience with their eyes uh, on the screen. Um, uh, I mean, I'm even writing it for the person who then goes and buys the DVD and is listening to the DVD commentary. It is not for the casual viewer. No, the reason why I didn't do the 12 moves uh, ahead thing uh, was I am thinking of it now and not uh, a year ago. (laughs) I I blew it, it, it is the answer to the question. I play the orchestra. (laughs) <laughs> That's yeah. the key line of that second act. And in a way, it's the key line to understand a good part of the Steve Jobs that you give us. Why is that such a significant concept for us to keep in mind? Well, first of all, I really need to credit 
Seiji Ozawa, um, uh, who Steve Jobs is is quoting uh, in the movie. Uh, I didn't make up that quote. I re- it was a long time ago, uh, and I was uh, uh, reading an article about the great conductor. And- in your post-trombone phase? I'm not in a post-trombone phase. <laughs> I, I, I love the trombone, and I just want somebody to write some good music for the trombone, especially now that I'm a grown man, I'm six feet tall, and I can reach seventh position. So it was- This interview is over, sir. <laughs> Oh, it was. Uh, oh, we're talking about Seiji Ozawa. Yes, we um, were. Uh, and I thought. It, uh, so I remember years and years ago uh, uh, reading that quote from uh, uh, Seiji Ozawa that the musicians play their instruments, I play uh, uh, the orchestra. I don't know what the hell it meant uh, when he said it, but I, I, I thought that it was good poetry. And then when I got to this, the question of what what do you do? What does Steve Jobs do? It's a question that Seth. Uh, Seth Rogen plays Waz, and it's Seth Rogen like you've never seen him before. He's he's phenomenal he's in great. this movie, as is the whole cast. Uh, uh, it, it was – I had the question. I, I, I put the question in, in the mouth of Steve Wozniak, uh, uh, which seemed appropriate, and suddenly the Seiji Ozawa uh, quote came to me, and it seemed – suddenly I understood it. It seemed absolutely right for Steve, that Steve was able to marshal all these – Engineers, coders, designers, uh, uh, technicians, everyone that it takes to make our laptops, uh, our phones, our iPods, um, uh, and, and play them uh, uh, to make the uh, – uh, to realize this singular vision that he had of a device that lives at the intersection of art and technology. Towards the end of the film, we finally see – a key moment happening in his emotional life. And he says, the, somebody says the presentation's about to begin and he says it doesn't have to start on time. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, the, it's a moment I've been setting up from the beginning of the movie by making it, uh, uh, anytime someone suggests, can we just delay 10 minutes so we can fix this? Absolutely not. We're a computer company. It has to start on time. We are never going to start late. We are never, ever going to start late. So that way, when uh, in the third act, uh, uh, you know, someone says you're about to start late, and he says, "I don't care." Um, uh, we realize that there's something that he cares about more than that. And what I love about that is that we finally see that Joanna, who is you've had Kate Lenslet, yeah, all along, she is like the one person who has some tactics in dealing with him. We constantly see his tactics. The other ones are sort of guileless in terms of how they approach him. Was constantly asking for credit for the Apple II people. Uh-huh. That kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, interestingly. Joanna is not a big character in in Walter's book, uh, but he mentions he, he mentions her a couple of times. And one of the times he mentions her, he says that there was this award that they gave out at Apple uh, for the person who could stand up to Steve the best and that she won it three times in a row. And so I thought, well, I want to meet her, um, uh, you know, doing this research. Let me start there. Uh, and uh, as soon as I met her, I knew that she was go- she was going to be a big character in the movie. And you, did you always know that the daughter was going to be a, like the beating heart of what you were going to do? As soon as I met her uh, uh, or a- a- after the first hour of being with her, uh, I did. Um, uh, because at the outset, I honestly thought uh, I-, I may have to call the studio and tell them I, I can't do this. Because um, 
I'm the father of a daughter, and uh, I, I couldn't get past uh, the way I, I couldn't get past Steve denying paternity uh, of his daughter, and I felt like I don't really care uh, uh, about the rest uh, of his life or the things that he made when this is right in front of me. And it was spending time with Lisa that uh, uh, were. It's it's not that she made me think that 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 wasn't a big deal. Uh, without knowing it, without realizing it, she made me see, idiot, don't don't let that block you. That is the emotional. That is the movie you're supposed to write, not the invention of the Macintosh. Uh, this father and daughter coming together. Well, congratulations on making that movie. Thanks very much, Chris. It's really a pleasure being here. Thanks for talking to us. You bet. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs. Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.